0: Hello and welcome my faithful and loyal readers and listeners. I'm going to day 226 of of the Bible in One Year segment. So just a brief reminder of what you should have read to be prepared for this segment. You should have read Nehemiah chapter 7 verse 73 through chapter 9 verse 21. You should have read 1st Corinthians 9, 1-18 Psalm 33, 12-22 Proverbs 21, 11-12 So we're c- continuing on in Acts chapter 19 So we're going to be in Acts 19 verses 23-41 through 41. So yesterday we saw Paul arrive in the city of Ephesus for the second time, right? So what we saw there was, we saw there was this mass conversion event that lots of people came to know Jesus as their savior. And so what we're gonna see today is we're gonna be given a detailed account of the events that took place while Paul was in Ephesus. in Ephesus and so today we're gonna see the uproar this caused among a certain group of Ephesians and that group of Ephesians were the who made silver Of the conversions that they were seeing taking place. So now we're going to pick up in 1923. Now, chapter 19, verse 23. We're going to go through verse 27, which says this about that time there arose a great disturbance about the way. A silversmith named who made silver shrines of Artemis brought a lot of business for the craftsmen, or brought in a lot of business for the craftsmen there. He called them together along with the workers in related trades and said you know my friends that we received a good income from this business and you see and here how this fella convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus mean particularly the whole province of Asia he says that gods made by human hands are no gods at all there's a danger not only to our there's, there's that our trade will lose its good name but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited herself who is worshipped throughout the province of Asia and the world will be robbed of her divine majesty. something's going on here right So we're seeing this relationship right between this craftsman by the name of Demetrius. Was getting the service myth by the name of Demetrius and the craftsman that Demetrius ran and procured business for right so in other words there's a relationship between the two Demetrius is essentially the one who is procuring the business who is running their business while the craftsman actually worked the metal so it's a two-way street if you need a shrine of artemis you went and saw demetrius who went and saw the craftsman who made the shrines and the craftsman would make you this shrine So why are they so mad? Why are they so upset? They're so mad, they're so upset, because large numbers of Ephesians turned from idolatry, made sure financial ruin for them, because, you see, their whole business was tied up in this fact that these people in Ephesus needed to buy, you know, shrines of the goddess, these little symbols of the goddess to carry around moving them to place in their homes so that they could worship her privately so as these people started to convert to Christianity they gave that up and they either, they either destroyed their shrines she began to be associated with the Greek goddess, Artemis, who was the goddess of the hunt, and all of these other things, but more than likely what this Artemis is is she was a mother goddess of Asia Minor, she was the patron deity of Asia Minor, right? So Demetrius goes on to say that there's three risks that were posed by Christianity, right? And so what are those three risks? He hmm. says there'll be a business dispute, right? So where do we see that, right? So he says that gods made by human hands are no gods at all. There is danger not only that our trade will lose its good name. So that's the business disrepute, right? So he says the second risk is that there'll be a goddess, this right? And so he says, but also that the god the goddess um, of this the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited. So in other words, What he's saying is that not only will our BUSINESSES lose some credit, our BUSINESSES will fall in too, or when people will start to DISREGARD the Temple of Artemis, they'll cease to pay any attention to her. And then he goes on to say the third one is the Goddess DIMINISHMENT, right? So that's what we pick up in that last half of verse 27. It says, And the goddess herself, who is worshipped throughout the province of Asia, and the world will be robbed of her divine majesty, right? So we so we see he claims that this goddess is worshipped in the, not only in the province of Asia But that she was worshipped throughout the entire world Is an exaggeration Right, she was quite, she was not worshipped throughout the entire world She was probably not worshipped much beyond Asia Minor She was probably not even worshipped much beyond ancient Greece. But Demetrius is trying to make a point here. It is pointed that these people's conversion to Christianity is greatly hurting us, and so we need to put a stop to it. Right? But however, this cult was popular, and how do we know that? Well, because modern-day archaeologists, he will discover 33 temples to the goddess Artemis throughout Asia Minor, and there may have been many other shrines that were likely lost to time, and many more may be unearthed with further es- excavations. Excuse me. So now let's pick up with our readings in verse 28 and take it through verse. 31, which says this, when they heard this, they were furious and began shouting, great as Artemis of the Ephesians. Soon the whole city was in an uproar. The people seized Gaius and Estracriscus, Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia, and all of them rushed into the theater together. Paul wanted to appear before the crowd, but the disciples would not let him. Even some of the officials of the province, friends of Paul, sent him a message begging him not to venture into the theater. Begging him not to venture into the theater, right? So we see that Demetrius worked this crowd up into a frenzy and they got so worked up into this frenzy they decided to seize Paul's Macedonian traveling companions. (laughs) Uh, Excuse me decided to seize Paul's Macedonian companions, uh German companions. Gaius, who is not the man from Darby that we're gonna see mentioned in Acts twenty verse four, right? And Aristocraeus, who was likely from Thessalonica, who is mentioned in Acts chapter twenty, verse four. And he got them somewhere. they seized these men, and they not only seized them, but they dragged them to the theater. They dragged them to this public place where trials would take place so that they could demand an accounting of this. <sniffs> or quite possibly force Paul to come in there, into this building, into this public Place and have a big confrontation with him, right? So we'll see. Paul wants to go. He's Paul for a fight? But no. Paul probably wants to go and defend himself before this crowd, not realizing the danger that is there, or possibly realizing the danger that is there, and deciding that the risk is worth it. So what does happen there, right? So we see what does it say over in, you know, so in verse 30, starting starting in verse 30, and going to verse 31. That's what it says. It says Paul wanted to appear before the crowd, but the disciples would not let him. Even some of the officials of the province, friends of Paul, sent him a message begging him not to venture into the theater, right? So, Paul wants to go, and Paul wants to defend himself, and, more likely, he wants to defend his friends. Would you see, his own friends, his disciples, and the officials of the province, who were Paul's friends, didn't let Paul go, knowing full well that danger that was going to come here, there was a good possibility Paul was not going to come out of this, uh, alive. Right, mean, but, but, but before Paul agreed to go, right, in all probability, he would have received some assurances from the officials, right, that his friends would be safe if he hadn't received any assurances that his friends were safe and Paul would not have not agreed to go if you get what my meaning there right I know that sounds kind of convoluted the only reason Paul agreed not to go into the it was more than likely because he received assurances that his friends were safe up in verse 32, and we're going to go through verse 34, which says this, the assembly was in confusion, some shouting one thing, some another, most of the people did not even know why they were there, the Jews in the crowd pushed Alexander to the front, and they shouted instructions to him he motioned for silence in order to make a defense before the people but when they realized he was a jew they all shouted in unison for about two hours great as artemis of the uh, ephesians so what we see here is we see this scene within this theater was nothing but absolute pure chaos, which is exactly what Demetrius wanted, he wanted absolute pure chaos, he wanted to churn up these people into being this fast, rabble-rousing mob, so they could then put an end to these men who were putting a crimp on their business, right? So, but the crowd doesn't really know this, right? The crowd doesn't know that Demetrius only wants them to become violent. so they can put an end to this one man, or to this group of men, right? So they don't know why they're there. But even though they don't know why they're there, they're still raucous anyway. They're still making a show, right? And so they... Pushed this man named Alexander forward to speak, and this man was Jewish. Don't know how they realized he was Jewish, unless he was openly being Jewish. Oh, no, for sure, why not told? But somehow they knew that he was Jewish, right? So they push him forward to speak. They push him forward to make a defense. So he starts making a motion with his hand to silence the crowd saying, hey, 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 be quiet. I'm getting ready to speak to answer the charges that y'all are making, right? So I don't know if he spoke and some of the crowd heard him. They heard that he had some interesting things to say. We don't know for sure. But we do know that they realized he was a Jew some point in time. And when they realized that he was Jewish, they began to chant in favor of Artemis for two whole hours. So imagine that this man is standing in this theater, about ready to make an impassioned plea to these people. He can't do it because they're too busy chanting. Great is the Goddess Artemis! Great is the Goddess Artemis! for two whole hours! Right? So what this shows us is that Alexander's stance on idolatry and Paul's stance on idolatry were not welcome in this assembly. So now we're gonna up in verse 40 excuse me verse 35 and we're going to take it through verse 41 which is going to take us through the very end of chapter 19. so here's what that passage says it says the city clerk quieted the crowd and said fellow ephesians doesn't all the world know that the city of ephesus is the guardian of the temple of the great Artemis, and of her image which fell from heaven. Therefore, since these facts are undeniable, you ought to calm down and not do anything rash. You have brought these men here, though they have neither robbed temples nor blasphemed our goddess. If then Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen have a grievance against anybody, the courts are open, and there are pro-councils. They can press charges. If there is anything further you want to bring up, it must be settled in a legal assembly. As it is, we are in danger of being charged with rioting because of what happened today. In that case, we would not be able to account for... Me, uh, for this con- uh, commotion, since there was no reason for it. <sniffs> After he had said this, he dismissed the assembly. So this man here, he who is referred to as the Chief Clerk, or as the City Clerk, Refers to the chief executive magistrate in the city. So, in other words, he was the one who would implement the, the decrees of the public assembly. So, his argument <coughs> was twofold, right? It was twofold. So, the first part of his argument was the s- was the status of Ephesus as guardian of an image had not been diminished by the growth of Christianity, right? So, that's what he says. So he says in verse 35, fellow Ephesians, doesn't all the world, know that the city of Ephesus is the guardian of the temple of the great Artemis and her image which fell from heaven. Therefore, since these facts are undeniable, you ought to calm down and do nothing rash. hasn't changed the fact. Tha- their preaching this hasn't changed the fact. The rest of the guardian of the temple of Artemis hasn't changed that fact. Not everybody in Ephesus has become Christian. And so the second part of the argument that he makes is that the men who had been arrested had broken no arms. Some of those these men have not been seen trying to rob temples just something that Ephesians had feared previous attempts to rob temples. So now let's pick up in, uh, where were we, uh, in verse 37. So that you have brought these men here, though they have neither robbed temples nor blasphemed our God- goddess. So in other words, they hadn't slandered their goddess, right? so let's keep going so it says if then demetrius and his fellow craftsmen have a grievance against anybody the courts are open and there are pro councils they can press charges if there's anything further you want to bring up it must be settled in a legal uh, assembly as it is, we are in danger of being charged with rioting because of what happened today. In that case, we will not be able to account for this commotion since there is no reason for it. After he said this, he dismissed the uh, se- assembly. So in other words, what he was, so in other words, what those verses say, said is yes, there was no legal for this assembly, is, number one, Ephesus' status ain't been diminished at all, <coughs> number two, these men ain't broken no laws, right, so if the, the status of Ephesus has not been diminished, they ain't broken no laws, why are y'all getting together in this uh, assembly trying to essentially lynch these men, right, causing, uh, right and so because there's no legal reason for y'all to be assembled here i'm dismissing you y'all need to leave now or there will be very very dire consequences so what are we saying here right that these so even though this man is saying hey look they haven't they haven't diminished the status of Ephesus, they haven't blasphemed, they haven't spoken yellow ill of the goddess Artemis, they've not broken our laws, they haven't tried to rob our temples, so they did not endorse idolatry in any way, shape, or form, which is what made Demetrius and the craftsman so angry and so upset and so that's where we will pick up cause they end up Paul and Bartimaeus excuse me Paul and his companions end up leaving Ephesus after this and that's where we're gonna pick up with tomorrow as we're gonna see Paul move in to Macedonia and Greece for the very last time. Because you gotta remember, Paul's third missionary journey is essentially a farewell tour. So in order for you to be prepared for that, here's one you need to read. So you need to read in Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 22. Uh, verse 22 through uh, chapter 10, verse 39, First Corinthians 9, 19 through 10, 13, Psalm 34, 1 through 10, and Proverbs 21, 13. Hello and welcome, my faithful and loyal readers and listeners. Welcome today. Two twenty-seven of our through the Bible in one year segment. So just a brief reminder in case you have forgotten for what you need to to have read to be prepared for this discussion. You need to have read Nehemiah nine twenty-two through ten thirty-nine. You need to have read First Corinthians nine nineteen through ten thirteen. Psalm 34, 1-10, and Proverbs 21, 13. So, yesterday we finished Acts chapter 19, and today we're going to move into Acts chapter 20. So, we're going to be covering more specifically Acts chapter 20, verses 1-12. through 12. So, as we mentioned, as we closed yesterday... Paul is on what is essentially his farewell tour throughout Asia Minor, Macedonia and Greece. So in other words, he is going through all these places that he has visited, right? And he is essentially giving his farewell as he is about ready to go to Rome for to be tried to be executed to die. So we saw yesterday and the day before Paul's stay in Ephesus, right? And so today what we're gonna see is we're gonna see Paul move into Greece and Macedonia. And then finally we're gonna see his return by land to Asia Minor. And that the and the ultimate result of this journey, right? Back to Syria, cause this is the, the return leg Now, right back to Syria and then ultimately to Jerusalem will be Paul's journey to Rome which is what the entire book of Acts has been building up to cause this, this new found religion that's started about real small, started out into Jerusalem spread out into all of judea and then it spread into parts of asia right spread into turkey and then now it has spread into greece and now as we come to the end it's gonna have spread all the way over into rump which means it have, will have reached the capital of the very group of People that executed Jesus. So now we're going to pick up in Acts chapter 20, verse 1, and we're going to take it through verse 3 to start off with, which says this When the uproar had ended, Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, said goodbye and set out for Macedonia. He traveled through that area. Speaking many words of encouragement to the people, and finally arrived in Greece, where he stayed three months. Because some Jews had plotted against him, just as he was about to sail for Syria, he decided to go back through Macedonia. He was a oh, excuse me. He decided to go back through Macedonia. So, we'll stop right there for just a minute, right? So, look, is here accurately describing Paul's travels, but he does so (coughs) in broad strokes. So, in other words, what I'm saying is he doesn't get into great detail about what happened in Paul's farewell tour of the churches that he had planned, quite possibly, because much of what would have happened in this farewell tour was personal and private. In other words, it was information that we do not need to know, or nor do we have the right to know. And so, after the near riot, that happened in Ephesus, right? Paul, Paul went to Macedonia, which certainly included Philippi, because Paul had great success at Philippi. Paul was very fond of the church at Philippi, so then his next destination was Corinth. Which again, very likely refers to his trip to Athens, where he had been very successful in planting a church, and Corinth, where again he had been very successful in planting a church. But we're told there was a small problem, right? says because some Jews had plotted against him, just as he was about to sail for Syria. He decided to go back through Macedonia. He decided to go back through Macedonia, right? So this plot that this group of Jewish people put in place against Paul made him redirect his path from that of a sailing trip of a trip by boat back to Syria, right? to a land route back through Macedonia. So, in other words, Paul's not gonna take a boat back to Syria. He's gonna go back up through Macedonia, and then back through Asia Minor, and then he's gonna take the boat back, right? So, we don't know what kind of plot this is. So whether or not they plan to ambush him in the port, whether or not they planned to carry out some nefarious deeds, whether or not they planned on performing some kind of act of piracy while he was at sea, or if it was some other kind of plan that we have no idea what it might have been. Two that I just mentioned are the two that are most likely, but it could have been anything because we ain't told what it was. But it was, whatever it was, it was avoided by Paul deciding to travel to and through Macedonia. In other words, going back by land. So he wasn't going to leave from Corinth and sail. He was gonna go back up through Macedonia. Then he was gonna go and do it that way. So now let's pick up in verse 4 and take it on through verse 6. Right? (coughs) Which says this. He was accompanied by Sopatar, son of of Vamoria. Aristocricus, and Secundus from Thessalonica, Gaius from Derby, Timothy also, and Tychicus from Trophimus from the province of Asia. These men went on ahead and waited for us, and for us, But we sailed from Philippi after the Festival of Unleavened Bread, and five days later joined the others at Troas, where we stayed seven days. Where we stayed seven days. (coughs) So that, so the list of names, right, that we just saw here, right, Started in verse 4, And right? pre- that was included all of, that was in verse 4 is a delegation representing the Gentile churches that carried an offering to Jerusalem from God's people. And so we see that offering talked about in First Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1 and 2. And we see it talked about even further. 2nd Corinthians chapters 8 and 9 so this list includes representatives from most of the regions Paul had evangelized however there are two two that are notably absent right those that are notably absent are Corinth and Philippi right so the men that were listed here were Paul's traveling companions, right, and they may not have been the whole group that ultimately met in Jerusalem. So we send in this Paul they were leaving were Sinner Head, of Paul, to Troas, right, and the reason they were sending ahead, right, is that wanted to stay in Philippi to celebrate Easter with the Philippians, Because it's told these men were not we're told these men went on ahead. In verse (coughs) in verse five we're told these men went on ahead and waited for us at Troas and then in verse six we're told but we sailed from Philippi after the festival of unleavened Bread, and five days later, joined the others at Troas, where we stayed seven days, right? So the Festival of Unleavened Bread occurs at Passover, right? It occurs with Passover. It's a festival, that's associated with Passover. So what's happening here, Paul wants to stay with the Philippians. This is Paul's last time with the Philippians to celebrate a major holiday, right? So, Paul wants to spend Easter with his friends in Philippi, so he sends his traveling companions on ahead, so he can celebrate Easter with Philippi- the Philippians. And so, once again, see this resumption, right, of the use of the pronoun we, which indicates that Luke was again traveling with Paul as they landed at Troas where they stayed for an entire week. So what happens when we get to, to Troas? We're about ready to find out so now let's move on into verse 7 and take it all the way through to the very end of this section, which would be verse 12, which says this, On the first day of the week we came together to break bread. Paul spoke to the people, and because he intended to leave the next day, kept on talking until midnight. There were many lamps in the upstairs room where we were meeting. Seated in a window was a young man named Eutychrus, who was sinking into a deep sleep as Paul talked on and on. When he was sound asleep, he fell to the ground from the third story and was picked up dead. Paul went down, threw himself, threw himself on the young man, and put his arms around him don't be alarmed, he said, he's alive. Then he went upstairs again and broke bread and ate. After talking until daybreak, or excuse me, until daylight, he left. The people took the young man home, alive, and were greatly comforted. Greatly comforted so the meal right that we see them eating on this sunday was not necessarily (coughs) the lord's supper they were essentially meeting together to even break bread together which is what we are called to do as followers of christ we're called to meet together (coughs) with one another and to break bread with one another So we're told, then, that Paul's speech uh, lasted until midnight, right? Because this was Paul's only, and quite possibly, his last opportunity to address these believers. So he wanted to make the most out of this opportunity, so he spoke all night with them, right? So we're told that listening... To Paul make his speech, listening to Paul talk was a young man by the name of Eutychus. Eutychus, right, whose name was rather common at that time, and which means good fortune. So we've been told that this room was on the third floor, right? on the third floor. So it wasn't on the ground floor, it wasn't on the men's team, it was on the next floor up. This was on the third floor. This was st- this man was sleeping in, in a window three stories high. Doesn't sound real smart. Doesn't sound real safe, but he was still doing it. Right. So He's sitting here listening to Paul talking. He's having a real hard time staying awake, and he's sitting in a window, three stories up. And so when he loses his battle against sleep, when he finally falls asleep, he's sitting in a window. This ain't no window that got no. This is a window that ain't got no glass in it. Like this is literally just an open. Hole in the wall this boy sleeping in. So when he loses his battle with sleep and he falls asleep, what's he do? He falls out this window and he falls thirty feet to his death. You're not gonna survive a fall from thirty feet when you fast asleep. You're not really gonna you're not gonna survive a fall from thirty feet if you're wide awake normally we do know that this man died when he fell out this window, right? (coughs) And so we can only imagine the horror that these people felt, right? When they ran downstairs, and they saw this young man outside, and the horror included Paul, right? Because what Paul did, Paul quits talking, because right, he sees how these people run out, right he's just seen this boy fall asleep in the window, and fall out of it, fall 30 feet to the, to the bottom of the ground, and die, so what does Paul do, right, it says Paul went down, threw himself on the young man, and put his arms around him, that's in verse 10, let's go on, it says, and don't be alarmed, he said, he's alive, don't be alarmed, he's alive. So he threw his arms around this boy, and he tells the people that have just run downstairs, they see this boy ain't breathing, they see he dead. And what does Paul tell him, he says, after he throwing after his arms around him, what does he say? He says, don't be, af- don't be alarmed, he ain't dead. Don't be alarmed, he ain't dead. Don't be afraid, this boy ain't dead. This boy ain't dead. Paul brought that boy back to life, and he wasn't have to bring this boy back up to life, he goes back upstairs and continues to teach until daybreak. Paul wasn't going to let nothing stop him from teaching these people, because this was the last opportunity he was going to have to teach these people. Right? And so, these people stayed up, including this boy that had fallen out this window and died. Stayed with Paul, until, until daylight. Right? That's how long Paul continued to teach, and they all managed to stay awake this time. Right? Which demonstrates that these believers and Troas were hungry for the Word of God. They were hungry for the Word of God. They wanted to hear about the Word of God, and then were told, until daybreak, until daylight, and then he left. He didn't leave the city, Paul left the meeting. Paul left this meeting, went someplace and fell asleep, more than likely, but he didn't leave the city, because we're gonna pick up from there. We're gonna pick up from here tomorrow, and we're gonna see that Paul didn't leave Troas at this point in time. That it was a little bit later, so Paul went someplace and sacked out first. Then he left. And where did he go after he left? and so we're gonna see tomorrow. He left Troas, and he returned for a third time to Ephesus, where we're gonna see him give a farewell address to the elders of the F Eph- of the Ephesian. Church. So here's what you need to read to be prepared for that. Right? You need to read Nehemiah 11one 1 through 12 26. You need to read 1 Corinthians 10 14 through 33. Psalm 34 through 22. And Proverbs 21 14 through 16.